Listening to The Holistic Voice with your hosts, Austin Vitaliano and Jordan Reynolds. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of The Holistic Voice. I'm Jordan Reynolds. And I'm Austin Vitaliano. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to share what we have with you. It's been quite a process getting this podcast together, but it has already been extremely rewarding. We've had interviews with a wide variety of professionals, from voice coaches to tax specialists, and we just can't wait to share this resource with you. Yeah, we've we've had a lot of learning moments, and uh, the the process has gone back months and months and months uh, to our our very first idea of uh, why we wanted to do this and push out this podcast and this this resource for our community of vocalists. Um, but actually, the, the beginning of the story, in order to understand how we got here, started in graduate school, where Jordan and I met at the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston, Massachusetts. So the program was absolutely amazing. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. We had performances, uh, classes in acting and dance. Um, we had how to perform as a business, how to, how to promote yourself in terms of taxes and um, entrepreneurial musicianship ideas in uh, really treating yourself as a product. And so at the end of the two years when we graduated, uh, we had accumulated such a large amount of information on the human voice, um, not just on the mechanism itself. We've had voice science classes and voice pedagogy classes on how to teach singing, but we also had uh, a large network of professionals and leading uh, professors and researchers in the field. And so we got together and thought, while we're utilizing this information, why don't we disseminate this to a larger community of vocalists, some of which who might not have the opportunity to either afford this information or hear this information. Um, so this this really is going out towards as many people as we can. We Again, we want to foster this this supportive, this creative community of vocalists through information, through this frank and open discussion between Jordan and I and everyone of our listeners, everyone tuning into this podcast, everyone writing us in the, our email, um, and, and sharing these industry experience interviews, sharing these professionals' ideas and knowledge with as many people as uh, we can. Every, again, everyone's story is different, whether you have a nine-to-five job or you're on the stage of the Kennedy Center. We're looking to provide the resources vocalists need in order to create their own success. Yes, so a big part of the reason we started this podcast was, just like Austin said, because we have, um, we've gotten so much information, we've learned so much from our conservatory setting. And the other part is because we're actively pursuing careers in voice right now. And that's something that I'm hoping we're sharing in common with a lot of our listeners. So we want this to be a real community effort where we share our experiences as vocalists, and then we hear from you. And you will play a huge part in this podcast and the resource for everyone else. So we hope that you contribute to the social media and comment on our episodes on our website. Um, because this will be so much better an experience if it's a collaborative effort. 
Yeah, follow us on the journey, and we want to follow you on your journey as well. In this podcast, we discuss vocal technique and health, managing yourself as a business, career opportunities for vocalists, and artistic development. So you can go to our website, comment on episodes, social media, Facebook, you can go on and join the group there and really connect with these people, um, find a support group in that, and grow your network. So Austin, tell us what this episode is about. What we're talking about this week is pursuing higher education as a vocalist. So this process is always an involved personal and financial investment. What you get out of music school, along with the experience you have with it, largely depends on the effort you put in. What really got me thinking about pursuing higher education as a vocalist takes me back to a few years ago when I was working a table at the 54th annual Nats convention in Chicago. While I was representing the Blair School of Music for Vanderbilt University, I was approached by a variety of young students who were looking to apply to college for voice. As the day went on, there was one young girl in particular that actually stood out to me, not necessarily from her questions, but from the response she gave when I asked why she wanted to go to school for music. Um, without a beat, she answered to the tune of, that's what, every, that's what everyone does these days, it's the next step after high school. Now, while I understood that this is one response of many I received that day, it really inspired me more than all of them to ask why I went to college for voice in the first place. Um, I think that in a way, I had those same thoughts and I didn't realize the bigger considerations at play when I was applying. And I don't know if that's similar for you, Jordan, but I, I, didn't, I didn't put as much research as, as I believe I should have when I was going to college. And I don't know if, if, if you were feeling the same way when you were applying to undergraduate schools for voice as well. Yes, definitely. I really wish I had spent more time figuring out where I wanted to go and really why. I was really lucky to have a great mentor and voice teacher who helped guide me through what schools to apply for, and uh, I ended up at a place I was very content with, very happy that I went. I wish the experience had come because I had worked really hard to find the place, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not just looking at someone's uh, sweatshirt and saying, hey, that's really interesting to me, and I'm a good singer, so let's try this thing. Let's, let's go $150,000 in debt and, and, and try it. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's actually really funny because uh, this week I interviewed Dr. Biddlecombe, the director of choral activities at both Vanderbilt University's Blair School of Music and the Nashville Symphony Chorus. And he had a really similar situation in, when he was actually applying to uh, his undergraduate school. And, and here is a clip from him explaining his experience and his same sentiment here. So looking at undergraduate schools, I did a surprisingly little amount of research. I just was not particularly engaged in the academic process at this time. And, and I didn't really give a lot of thought to, to career or what I was interested in. And I just gave thought to the only thing I was any good at, uh, which was music. And it was the only thing I'd ever gotten any kind of accolades about. I knew I wanted to get away from home. Uh, but I didn't want to go. Uh, I, I had applied at some places like Ithaca and things like that, but you know nothing. You know nothing out of the ordinary. I went to a state university that turned out to be a fantastic decision because uh, there was no graduate program. So I was the person who I, every year 
we did a choral orchestra work, and for four years I had a solo, some kind of some kind of solo, uh, doing you know like a Haydn mass and a Mozart mass, and uh, you know I had some sort of I was singing with orchestras. I was I was the person doing the stuff. I was singing opera roles and. And I always counsel undergraduate students to, to look at programs that don't have graduate institutions. Uh, when I was at Florida State for my master's and doctorate, I never saw an undergraduate student get up in front of a choir or sing a lead role in an opera. And those experiences are, are, are just so critical to have. Dr. Biddlecombe raises a really good point right at the end of that clip in telling his younger students to look for solely undergraduate programs when applying to schools for voice, colleges for voice. That was something that really stood out to me, actually, when, when, I, was looking, when I was looking for my undergraduate programs. When you are going for auditions and trying to gain skills in uh, performing in front of people and um, exploring your voice really for the first time? How is it working? Um, how can you do this professionally? How are auditions going to work? You want to have as much performance experience as you possibly can. And if you are competing against individuals with voices that are four, five years more developed than yours, then it's hard to gain those performance opportunities. And that's why uh, luckily for me, the Blair School of Music at Vanderbilt was solely undergraduate focused. Um, and I really think that that shaped a lot of my confidence building skills and my performance skills as well. Um, Jordan, in, in your undergraduate experience, was it, was it solely undergraduate at Brigham Young or no? So Brigham Young University has a small graduate school. Uh, so it was very undergraduate focused. So I did get a lot of the same benefits at at Brigham Young University, lots of stage time. Um, whenever there was a, a main opera being presented, I would usually get a role. And so that was a really nice experience for me. I was able to really grow as a performer. So I agree that that is a huge uh, fact to consider as you're looking for schools to sing at. Um, and I would love to hear from any listeners of ours that have gone to more of a conservatory setting that has a huge graduate program and what that was like for them as an undergraduate and if they felt like that severely affected their education. Absolutely. And actually, I, I'd really be curious because Jordan and I have more of a, a classical voice background. If any of our listeners are could write into us, um, I've been curious about musical theater programs, BFAs in musical theater. Um, do you guys have the the same type of competition or are there are, are there a lot of undergraduate focused musical theater programs as well or do you also have to compete with undergraduate and graduate students um just like the the conservatory or classical um music world I, i'd be really curious to find out because i actually don't know the question to that the answer to that question so so we're throwing around a lot of uh, so bfas bms uh what do all of those uh, words mean that that's another question that you have to consider when applying to music programs. There are really three degrees um, that you're looking for when applying to grad schools. You could be a, a BA or Bachelor of Arts, a BFA, a Bachelor of Fine Arts, or a BM, a Bachelor in Music degree as your intended major when applying. What is the difference and how do you decide between those three? Uh, in, in a general sense, 
all students will complete between 30 and 40 classes during college, regardless of the major or degree. And this is according to collegeprepservices.com. The main difference between a Bachelor of Arts and a BFA program is how these classes will be divided between courses in the in the performing arts and courses in other areas of study. So, for example, a Bachelor of Arts will usually complete 10 to 12 courses in their major. So whether that's music or uh, musical theater or, um, you know, dance, etc., They'll take the remaining courses toward their degree in a broad range of other subjects. Um, now, in contrast, the Bachelor of Fine Arts degree, that schedule is reversed. Depending on the school, BFA students will take 18 to 20 courses in their creative area, filling out the rest of their schedule with courses in other subjects. Um, and a BM is very music-heavy. It's similar to a BFA it contains fewer required liberal arts and non-music-specific degree requirements. Um, and it, in general, the BM has less room to, uh, in the course load to allow for electives that are non-music options. And that's just important to, to figure out when you're deciding between your degree what you're going to be looking for. Um, so, Jordan, what, what was your degree and kind of your course path when you were in um when you were in school as an undergrad sure um brigham young university is a pretty academic school and so i think that's another thing you might want to consider um, as a listener looking at colleges to apply for is if you aren't going to a straight conservatory setting you may get more opportunities on the stage like i was able to um, but be prepared for the coursework to be pretty intense potentially. Yeah. Because along with these music classes, which were very rigorous, I had these music history classes where I'd spend hours in the testing center writing these these essays for a music history, um, not to scare anyone away from a music degree. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but along with those, I had to take, you know, physical science and other um, history courses in math. Uh, and so I had to do all these um, other other classes as a requirement just to graduate, um, where it might be more lax in a liberal arts standpoint. Yeah, Jordan, they're never coming back. No, nobody's going for a music degree anymore after hearing after hearing from us. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, no, it's it's true. It's just in, in good to understand. I mean, B, BFAs and BMs they're going to have levels of theory, music history. Um, piano proficiency, and there are some classes that are that are zero credits. I, I, I oh, remember many. That's what I noticed <laughs> as a music student. Like it was crazy what I thought they could get away with saying, "Oh yeah, it's a one hour credit, and you'd spend like five or six hours a week." It's insane. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. And you're you're sitting in, you know, listening to others for a performance class, and that technically counts as a zero credit. It's it's kind of crazy. So yeah, I would really look look ahead and, and take a look at your coursework and what your undergraduate uh, music school that you're interested kind of uh, offers, because you can look at a lot of those resources online when applying to schools. Um, something that was interesting for me, I was always interested in languages. And so in a bachelor's of music uh, for opera performance, we had a lot of diction courses in, and language study in German, Italian, and French that would help us perform opera in foreign languages and 
we also had acting and dance classes. Now that level varies for each music genre. It's it's definitely heavier in musical theater than in classical programs. So um, if you feel that dance and acting is important or interesting to supplement your singing, be sure to research what types of styles you'll be learning. So in acting, are you learning the Meisner technique? Are you learning the Stanislavski system or the Strasberg method? What kind of genres of dance are you learning? Is it jazz, ballet, tap, ballroom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Now, all this training is aimed at feeling proficient in music interpretation at a professional level. It's meant to prep you for your auditions, for your master's degree, uh, et cetera. So for, for a specific perspective, I had a chance to sit down with Tucker Biddlecombe. Again, he's the pro- associate professor of director. And, he's the associate professor and director of choral activities at both Vanderbilt University's Blair School of Music and the Nashville Symphony Chorus. He was both a product of higher education and now an integral part of the system itself, so he had a unique lens when it came to pursuing a degree in in voice. And when asked to look back at his academic path, Dr. Biddlecombe offered a candid summary of his undergrad, master's, and Ph.D. degrees. Here's a clip from him. So in choosing schools for undergraduate, I just... I saw the name on a sweatshirt and I was like, Hey, that looks like a good place to go for my masters. I chose a personal connection that I had with a teacher, um, who I was really inspired by from high school. Uh, he both exceeded and did not meet the expectations that I had for that. Uh, but of course, as a kid, you don't know anything. So you're, you're sort of unrealistic. And, uh, as a PhD candidate, it was about where to get a job. Where was I, where was I going to get work? Now, I'm no Dr. Vitaliano, I understand that, uh, yet, but I frankly relate to his experience, especially in undergrad, searching for uh, programs, uh, and then later looking for a specific teacher in graduate programs. Like Dr. Biddlecombe said, when he was applying as a voice major, he recalls, and he recalls choosing undergraduate programs, he didn't really give thought to career or academic aspirations. He just gave thought to the only thing that he was good at, which was music. And again, Jordan, like we we had spoken about, I I wasn't having a five-year plan written out for me. It It was mainly... I have received accolades on how I sung. Um, it was kind of a unique talent that I could put forward. And when I found out that I can get scholarship for that, I was like, absolutely. I know how expensive college can be. So why not try something like that? Um, now, what I'm curious about for you is, is a relatable experience that for his master's degree, Dr. Biddlecombe's motivation for study was focused on working with and following a specific teacher. And luckily, we, we, we both went to NEC and found a very specific teacher to work with. I know that when I was looking for master's uh, degrees, I was looking on working with a very specific baritone uh, for those two years. Was it similar with you? Yes, definitely. I, I chose to study with uh, Bradley Williams at New England Conservatory, mostly because I was switching between uh, studying as a baritone and moving towards tenor. And Bradley Williams is uh, is a tenor himself, and also he works with a lot of tenors. That seems to be a huge part of his vocal studio is working with tenors. And um, that was a big part of my search. It was someone who could help me through that transition. I had been working with um, a baritone, Daryl Babbage, at Brigham Young University. And uh, I thought working with the tenor would be really 
helpful for my where I was at in my vocal journey. And so that was a huge part of my search for master's degree programs was really just a teacher I could work with. Absolutely, yeah. Um, something that Dr. Biddlecombe stresses later, however, in the, in, in the interview, is that while every field is different, the worth of going directly from a bachelor's to a master's degree is almost nothing. He explains in this clip here. A 21-year-old soprano can't compete with a 24-year-old soprano. Uh, those, those three years of vocal development and, and research and knowledge are just, you just can't, you can't make up for it. In other words, precocious singers are few and far between in the voice field. Dr. Biddlecombe took time in between his degrees to work, to find a job, to fail, uh, and not to do particularly well. However, he learned and experienced outside of a safe environment, and those were the experiences that have grown to become the most useful for his work in teaching today. Yes, I think it's, I think it's important to get out there and spend some time like really honing what it is you want to do. And it's hard to do that when you're wrapped up in the academic process of school because you have these deadlines you need to meet, but they're not really as self-motivated as some of the other ones are. Like you, you choose to go to the college, but then you have these deadlines put upon you that you have to, to reach that someone else is mandating. And it's really important, I think, and crucial as developing uh, life skills to get out there and make those experiences on your own. Yeah. So I would say doing that outside of college, taking some time, you don't have to go straight to a master's program. Um, another way you can do it is while you're at school, making time to, to make your own experiences. So you can take a lighter load of credits. You don't have to take the full load like I did the whole time <laughs> and then try to do stuff on top of it. Don't have you to do that to yourself. You're one of those yourself. guys, huh? Yes, it's bad because <laughs> I've always been interested in like multiple things. So I was, you know, doing different styles of music and taking uh, computer science classes because, yeah, I just like to be too busy and stressed out. Uh-huh. Um, nice, nice. Yeah. But I think, you know, you could, it could be a really good thing to take a lighter load of credits and make go out there and make your own performance opportunities and really develop those skills while you're in school. Yeah, of course. You're always wide-eyed and bushy-tailed when you start your undergraduate degree. And even in your master's, that's a new place, uh, potentially new friends, and you're meeting new people for the first time. So there's a lot of distractions, but just remember why you're going into what you're going into, because it's a huge investment that you already made a decision about. So just know why you're going. Um, and in terms of our highest form of academic education in the States, Tucker stated that as a PhD candidate, it was about where to get a job and where I was going to get work. And in future episodes, we will definitely talk about um, that, that PhD life because we have a couple of friends and colleagues that really talk, talk to that experience. Um, but in terms of the economic response of a music institution, when a university is creating this picture of what you want to become as a student, it's, it's partially because they believe it, but also there is a bit of self-preservation involved. Uh, Dr. Biddlecombe commented that in classical music especially, as crowds are dwindling and hair is graying, at least in this country, traditional music institutions are preserving their way of life as long as they can by, one, diversifying their business models, uh, 
two, evolving their performance venues, and three, offering attractive scholarship packages. And what I mean by those, I've attached in um, my blog notes that we will attach to the holisticvoice.org, so you can definitely take a look at the articles and research that um, has been done in the States about evolving our business models when it comes to attracting a younger demographic of audiences. Um, now, in contrast to to a lot of classical music programs and concerts, I offer this story. We did a concert. Uh, we did a really well-attended run of the Verdi Requiem at the end of the spring. Uh, you know, just a great piece. Nashville Symphony really pulls people in. You know, the Skirmerhorn Symphony Center in Nashville has 1,800 seats. We filled it every night. We had great soloist. Eric Owens was the bass. You know, it was, it was just inspiring. Um, last Saturday night, Taylor Swift sold out Nissan Stadium, 72,000 seats. Um, it sold out in an hour. So our world is understandably different than, than that world. And I can understand commercial music institutions like Berkeley and Belmont and other places uh, wanting to, to codify that into some sort of training these worlds are understandably different, and therefore it is understandable for commercial music institutions wanting to codify that into some sort of training. And so I bet you're thinking, now I bet you're thinking, why isn't everyone a commercial music major? Dr. Biddlecombe weighs in and states that one factor comes down to economic trends. It is a rarity for a commercial voice student to have a scholarship. If they're coming for commercial music, they're most likely paying because the demand is so high. Realistically, why would you throw a ton of money as a music in this, uh, administration at somebody to come and get a degree that they're going to pay for anyway? Anyway, the demand is there. Um, now, when you're trying to find double bass players or classical voice majors with great potential for a small collegiate program, sometimes you have to offer attractive financial packages uh, because they have a variety of options to choose from. And luckily, uh, Jordan, you and I were, were in that, that demographic of people. You know, we, we luckily had um, a few choices because at the, in that year... Uh, in that studio, particular studio, they're looking for um, a young baritone or a young tenor. And in order to incentivize us, they're giving us scholarships. Sure. And I think that's a huge, huge factor to play in for choosing the undergraduate you're going to, like the scholarship packages that are offered. And also, if you are a commercial music major or a musical theater, um, depending on, I don't know how scholarships work as well with musical theater, so I'd love to hear from our audience as well about that topic. Um, but for commercial music in particular, I noticed a lot of the same classes overlapped at my my college for commercial music students um, mm -hmm. and classical voice. So it would make sense to me that if you have, you know, if you have experience in classical singing to, to go for that and... You could even transfer to commercial music later on the later down the road, but you could you have a lot better chance of getting a scholarship if you're going into classical, and you'll be getting these um, general music skills in your undergraduate. So that yeah. might be something to consider between the two degrees. Yeah, it's a it's it's a really good point, point Jordan, and and again something I never really thought about when I was going into it. Luckily, that was the case. That's that's how it how how the cards fell um in my interests but 
it's good to know this information, and that's why we're putting out the resources. So uh, if you're interested in, in going to music school, here are the, the final pieces of advice in the interview that I got from Dr. Biddlecombe. You have one job in your first year, and that is don't quit. Dr. Biddlecombe says that in his experience, there is overwhelming evidence of students that never come back after freshman year of college because the psychological barrier has been built. They feel like they've chosen the wrong field when it might have been the wrong teacher, uh, the wrong studio, or the wrong school. You have one job in your second year. Learn from your failures. Learn how to practice effectively and get to year three when it becomes your job. Year four begins a search for your next career steps, which we will talk about in subsequent episodes. So junior and senior year is really thinking about, are you going to set up an ARIA package for auditioning for uh, your graduate programs? Are you setting up um, musical theater packages and um, brushing up on your dance skills in order to apply to graduate programs or auditions in New York? Uh, Where are are you going? Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's really the trajectory of those, of those four years. Um, and while the point of this episode is to stress the importance of an informed pursuit of higher education, make sure to remember, don't overthink things and don't ever decide alone. One of the reasons why younger students or the students that Biddlecombe teaches now break down or have emotional issues regarding their artistic development is because they overplan. They work so hard preparing for a certain experience, and when that happens, it invariably defies your expectations, and you're not able to do what you wanted, or it changes in some way, and there's potential for a traumatic experience. Have a clear goal of what you wish to accomplish, and then allow the wind to take you from there. Um, So, Jordan, do you have any final advice for our listeners uh, to take and and, uh, applying to higher higher education for voice? Yes, and uh, more specifically for while they're in their education, I think you're going to be, you're going to face so many different choices you have to make, and I think the advice to not make those choices alone is really important. But also, uh, finding a way to isolate uh, what voices are important is essential. So learning how to to filter out all the all the thoughts that are and advice people are giving you and know what it is that you want to accomplish. So taking out all the the shoulds, like there'll be a lot of shoulds like, oh, well, I do this, so I should do that. Like, you know, like I'm a classical voice st- singer, so I should go to master's for classical <laughs> voice, you know, like, and but maybe it is that you want to do a different genre of music, like listen to yourself and um, yeah. don't spend years uh going down someone else's path because you should do something, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. Listening to only a select amount of people that you truly trust and have your best interest at heart is going to be a very healthy uh, uh, habit for your psychological health. Absolutely. For your entire life. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, just, yeah, allowing a few people to clap for you. That's definitely another episode to, to come up. Um, yeah, so, so finding, finding a school that encourages collaboration over competition is really important. Staying longer for audition weekends, talking to current students, hearing their experiences, hearing their stories. Call alumni of the school. They're happy to talk with you. 
um, and emailing questions to students and faculty. Yeah, don't um, be us. Don't just go to school. <laughs> yes. Go out there and like, research it. Yes. Don't do what we did. Don't uh, just look at a flyer or look at a, a sweatshirt and uh, <laughs> apply to school. Um, it's, kind of a, it's kind of an expensive decision. Just come on. Um, yeah, I, I, all of our listeners, please, I, I know you have so many stories. Um, do you relate to our experiences? Uh, can you talk a bit more about your specific programs? Can you let us know uh, what we can tell our community of people that are interested in careers or degrees in voice? Please uh, let us know, write in, um, uh, follow our newsletter, hear what we're doing. Share on Facebook, share on Instagram, and let us know what's on your mind. Our podcast is called The Holistic Voice, and it addresses everything voice-related. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in two weeks. See you then.